Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Well, every experience in our lives and our perception of how positive or negative it was is relative to our personal opinion. You know, no two mothers have the same birth story and experience and same goes for post-birth experiences too. Now, this is especially pertinent to mums who have um, had, unfortunately, a traumatic pregnancy, delivery or post-birth experience, um, and that being for the, for the baby and also for the mother. Well, today, we're really honoured to speak with an inspirational mother who has experienced all of these things and is so kindly um, going to share what she learnt and, in hindsight, what she would have done differently. So to talk to us today, um, we welcome back Chrissy Regan. Now, Chrissy is the founder of Mindful Mums Queensland and author of the new book, Broken to Unbreakable, 12 Steps to Unbreakable Mind, Body and Spirit. Welcome back, Chrissy. How are you? Great. Thank you so much. Lovely to see you. Your hair looks beautiful, by the way. <laughs> no, <she's, laughs> for everyone watching listening, <laughs> Chrissy's just saying that because I was just saying here in, in, in Victoria, I haven't seen a hairdresser or my hairdresser for the last four months. So <laughs> that's really lovely of you. Thank you so much. Now, um, there's lots to talk about before we do that. I just wanted to acknowledge that we published your article and the title is Mindfully Loving Your Newborn. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and what inspired you to write it? Well, you very kindly invited me to participate in your newborn guide for 2020. And I wanted to make the most of that opportunity um, to share you know, my messages of mindfulness for mums. But ultimately, I wanted to find a hook that was a little bit different, an angle that was slightly maybe not discussed uh, more broadly and widely in society. And one of the things that was true for me, which I've acknowledged and I wanted to share with other women, was the aspect of um, post-traumatic stress disorder for new mums. Um, And we'll talk a bit more about that. But also, how do we link mindfulness into it so that we can hopefully overcome some of our fears, our traumas, our stresses around difficult births and pregnancies? And as you mentioned, no two persons' experience is the same. And my um, feelings and understanding of trauma is different to yours. It doesn't lessen your experience. It doesn't make mine any worse for me. But trauma is, is trauma regardless of the degree of trauma. So since I've learned that, acknowledged that and implemented um, the strategies around that for myself, I've had a huge shift in my health and well-being. And I really wanted to be able to bring that to life for other women through my own story and through where I've gone to since. Yeah, and thank you for sharing um, the, this story and your stories with us today. Now, firstly, I wanted to acknowledge that in the article, you kindly shared that you had lost one of your twins um, during pregnancy. Um, with that experience, what would you like to share with us about that? And in that, that the information could help somebody in a relatively similar situation. Well, I was diagnosed, well, not diagnosed. I was lucky enough to find out I had a twin pregnancy very early on. I had um, IVF treatment. Mm -hmm. So five, six weeks, they could see two heartbeats. I saw two heartbeats. I had 
to scan images of two little babies in their respective places with hearts beating. So that was delight, excitement. You know, I had achieved my goal to become pregnant on my first cycle of IVF. And um, I had wanted to achieve a twin pregnancy, hence we implanted two embryos. And um, I was very optimistic and very excited about the prospect of becoming a mum of twins. So um, I started telling people that I was pregnant probably from around kind of eight or nine weeks because people knew I was having IVF, so I couldn't hide the secret really. Uh, and then when I um, went for my 12-week scan, um, they were doing the scan and I could see one little baby waving and then I could see nothing. And the scanner sonographer kept going back to that place. And then she said to me, what happened? And I felt sick at that time because I didn't know what happened and I didn't know what she was looking at other than I could see this very small twisted pretzel as I described it. And so then she said to me, I started crying, laying on the table, just crying in floods of tears. And she said, um, oh, I'm sorry, um, it looks like one's gone. Uh, and then she went out of the room and then she came back in. She finished the scan, did all the measuring, and then they took me to a room and I sat there waiting for a consultant to come and talk to me. And so I was just processing all that grief right there and then at that time as opposed to going and seeing two little babies for my 12-week scan. I saw that I didn't have one and then they were able to tell me that from nine, approximately nine weeks the other one had stopped growing. So it was immensely devastating. And I didn't tell anyone. And I went home and I laid in bed and I cried for 36 hours and I got back up and I went to work as if nothing had happened. Oh, goodness. Because, you know, I didn't know how to tell people. I didn't know. I hadn't told people I had a twin pregnancy, just that I was pregnant. So, um, you know, there was that secret that I was carrying as well as my grief and the trauma around that moment, which was kind of like, you know, unfolding in front of you. Mm. So, I mean, when you did actually, well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing that. And I'm so sorry that you experienced that, Chrissy. Um, I think a lot of the time when, when people hear news um, such as this, they can be lost to know what to say, um, but they have the best intentions to want to show support and, and, and their thoughts and their feelings. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you feel are the best things to say to someone who has lost a baby? Is there anything in particular um, that you sort of felt comforting once that you did um, you know, tell people your story? When I was told, like, it was a life that was gone, you know, it was my baby that was gone and, you know, I had... Um, what was very sad about that is that I couldn't feel joyful for the baby that I could see on the screen. So actually what I did three days later, I went and paid to have another scan in a private clinic so I could see my live baby and bond with it because <laughs> all I had done for the previous days was cry for the loss of the other baby as opposed to be joyful for seeing my living baby. Yeah. So you know, when someone said to me, you know, that was a life that you lost and you are, you're um, entitled to feel grief, you're entitled to feel sadness, you're entitled to feel um, overwhelmed and, you know, giving my feelings some labels like that actually I found useful and just saying to people, I'm so sorry for your loss, it's such a difficult thing to go to and I'm giving you my love and support 
And sometimes it's just as simple as that because, you know, knowing that someone actually um, is acknowledging your pain as opposed to going, just oh, to well. to acknowledge it. Yeah. But still to acknowledge the, the loss. So, I mean, things, um, for example, what are your thoughts on saying things like, um, you know, if you don't feel like talking, we can just sit here and I can just sort of keep you company. I've got nowhere else to be. Um, maybe something like, you know, what can I do for you? Is there anything else I can help? Even just the question, how are you feeling? So I think sometimes too, people don't want to open that door because they're just, they, they, but it, it is a great thing to ask someone how they're feeling as well. Sometimes just to be able to acknowledge and show support. Um, another thing is, you know, talk as long as you want. I'm here for you. I, I have plenty of time. Something like maybe um, anytime you need me, whatever time of the day, I'm here for you. Uh, and if you want to talk about the baby, I'm here to listen. So there's lots of things you can say empathetically uh, to be able to show um, support. Now, following on from that, you mentioned in the article something that you suffered with um, ICP. Can you exp- uh, explain to us what that is and what was your experience of it also? Because this is something I've not heard of before. It's interesting. ICP is um, short for intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy. I'm glad that you pronounced that because I had that in my notes and I didn't even go there. I looked at those big words and I went, I'm just going to let Chrissy talk about that. (laughs) It's a tongue twister, isn't it? But the simple words is obstetric cholestasis or even shorter OC. So we often say OC or IPC because it's easier to say. ICP. But essentially that is um, a rare condition that affects your liver. Your liver goes crazy, poisons your blood, and that can pass into your placenta. So you have very elevated liver enzymes and bile acid. Now, um, I have my gallbladder removed when I was 21. I had very high doses of um, progesterone um, when I was on my IVF treatment. Um, So A, I didn't have a gallbladder, so I had abnormal liver enzymes anyway and b i had these very high doses of drugs so that was like a perfect storm in my condition um it's um i think the challenge with this condition is that it's um underdiagnosed in a lot of women until they have very late and they may have had a stillborn baby or something actually tragic happens um now it's becoming more recognized people are being looked for earlier so the common symptom is itching your body starts itching because your liver is poisoning your blood and your response is to develop this itchiness on your skin wow. um I've, now I've itched as you've said that sorry but this is one of those <laughs> so extreme cases my case was very very extreme so normal bile acids are 12 and mine were 175 so on my first pregnancy my case was so extreme to admit me to hospital because I would lay awake all night just with this intense itch all over my body, my feet, and I was just going insane. The only way, and there's no treatment for it currently. So they give you a cocktail of drugs, and I was taking up to 16 different tablets throughout the day to try and minimise the symptoms, but there's nothing that they can really do for you. They try to get your pregnancy as far along as possible, but they also then try to deliver you at 37 weeks because after 36 weeks, the risk to the baby is extremely high. If you leave it to 40 weeks, often the babies are stillborn. So I realized I self-diagnosed myself with this illness at around 26 weeks. I, I felt intuitively that something was seriously wrong with me. I went to the hospital. I said, I think I have OC. 
They did lots of tests and after several days, liver scans, all the rest of it. And I went back to the hospital every single day and they said, we want to admit you. And I said, no, <laughs> because I was spending my night sitting naked in front of a fan with a, a wet face cloth on my liver. My liver was burning. So it was very unpleasant. So you can imagine you can't sit around hospital naked in front of a fan <laughs> with, a, with a face cloth on well, you. you can, so- but you just <laughs> <laughs> I did that in the comfort of my own home, but I lived near the hospital every day for monitoring. So there's a very good support group in the UK, um, which has now gone global and offers women around the world support for this condition. But I, at those days, it wasn't Facebook groups. So I was just Googling, 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 itchy when pregnant, really itchy when pregnant, very itchy when pregnant. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm itching so much. And then I started to find deeper and deeper and deeper these um, this condition. So I m- messaged the charity and I said, so the charity were very good at advising me as to what questions and what to be saying to the doctors rather than letting the doctors manage me. I manage the doctors. Uh, once you've had it once, you're, it's very likely you get it a second time, which means mod- many women don't want to get pregnant a second time with me. Um, you know, I was fortunate. I had a frozen embryo in the freezer and I wanted to deliver that baby. So I put myself through it again, but I was much better at managing it the second time around as well. So <clears throat> that being said, you had uh, quite a, a traumatic um, pregnancy and then following that you also had a, uh, a challenging birth. Um, and as a, f- as a result of that, I understand that you had experienced PTSD. Um, and with that, I understand now it's recognised that women can experience PTSD as a result of trauma around the birth of, the, um, of their children. And PTSD is not just exclusively for people that we know of and, and, and generally associated with, with ex-service men and women. Postnatal depression is widely discussed, but postnatal um, PTSD PTSD is is less widely discussed. So I'd love for you to ex- explain to us what are the symptoms of PTSD? What is it? Um, how do we recognise it? And how do we overcome it? Well, PTSD is um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't come on right away. It comes on a bit later after the event. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had to beg the doctors to deliver me at 36 weeks because I felt that my body was dying. I, I was that ill. Um, and then they said, well, we will induce you. So they put me through an induction process. Now I was a new first-time mum, a little bit naive about what inductions involved, but as soon as they gave me those drugs, my itching went even crazier. So then I had to negotiate a (laughs) C-section. So I negotiated myself to get a C-section after I'd been in induction process for 36 hours with nothing happening. Um, And then um, they delivered the baby. I was sent to the ward, um, no aftercare in place. And um, the baby um, was 36 weeks, tiny baby, and the blood sugars kept going. So then they took her away from me and took her off to neonatal. And maternity was on level four and neonatal was on level one on the opposite side of the building. And I'd had a cesarean. So every two hours, I'd have to walk down, 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 down across, express milk, feed, change, walk all the way back, go lie down in bed for 20 minutes and then do it all again. And I did that for two days. Again, no one supporting me. 
but I didn't know any better and I didn't know how to ask for help. And I, I, if you can imagine, you've already been sleep deprived for five, six, seven weeks and now you've got a newborn baby that's in a different part of the hospital, you're not functioning properly. So I wasn't functioning properly and I didn't have someone to step in and to be my kind of aftercare support person to say, this is what's happened to this poor woman and this is how we can help her. So I just thought I needed to manage it all on my own and that's what I tried to do. So when I got home from hospital uh, around day eight, and my child is beautiful, but she keeps me awake, she started choking. She would just choke for no reason. Um, and I realised quite quickly that I was feeling constantly on edge, like I was living on this constant edge of thinking that she was going to die any second I was not in the room you with see, her. Oh, my gosh. Very frightening. And um, so I'd gone through all of that and then this happened and then this happened. So just one compounding thing after another. And if you know anything about compound interest, it fills up. <laughs> and I was in my kitchen one day and I was emotional having the baby blues crying, but I suddenly felt intuitively, I think I have PTSD. And someone came over to make me lunch and I said to her, I think I have PTSD. And she went, oh, don't be silly. And so I just dismissed it. And now, five years on, and I've researched this and I've read about it and I understand it and I've processed it, I realise I did have PTSD and there was no aftercare for me in that time. And when I eventually presented to the doctor after four years of not sleeping and living in fear and with PTSD, I was prescribed antidepressants. And what I didn't, I didn't need antidepressants, I needed sleep. <laughs> pain relief, you know, kindness, care, compassion, um, acknowledgement. You know, I needed that, not antidepressants. Yeah. I felt that it was not fully understood, but, yeah, sorry. No, no, don't be sorry at all. Unbelievable, your story. Well, in your article, you share your key learnings from that time um, that in hindsight that you would do things differently. I would love for you to maybe just share some of those with us now. Of course, we'll have a link to the article in the show notes, but if you could maybe just sort of um, go through those and just to tell us, you know, what, what did you realise in hindsight and in, in now in actual fact through, through this interview can actually help others? Well, this is six years ago now, um, so you would think it's quite a long time, but actually I really only started to recover from my PTSD about two years ago. And in going through the process of writing the book um, and in all the work that I've done around mindfulness since then, I have become much more reflective on why I was feeling and thinking what I did around that time. So in hindsight, what I should have done was to People come to you, your midwife comes to visit you at home after the baby and they say, um, how are you feeling? Are you feeling depressed? Usually it's yes or no or whatever. Um, we don't have aftercare stages for women. You know, there's not a three-month, six-month check-in. Mm. Um, had a difficult time. Have you acknowledged you had a difficult time? You know, because I've met other women who've had a difficult time and they're just like, oh, yeah, okay, I had a difficult time. I'm not, you know, but that's not the same for you or for me. So, you know, having this um, continuity of support where people check on, in on you and actually help you process what you went through um, rather than six years later you having to unpick it yourself. Mm -hmm. So I for a proper review into my IPC because when I was sent from surgery to the ward there was not that continuity of care. 
and saying, okay, you've had IBC, you haven't slept for seven weeks, how are you feeling, what can we do to support you? You know, there was no one pushing me in a wheelchair from level four to level one to help me look after my baby. I did that on my own and um, and all of these things, you know, and at one point after about day five, I went into the sister's office and broke down and said, I just don't know what's happening. No one's talking to me. I'm very alone here. I had no family around me. And that was the other thing. Like I had, um, you know, when people visit you, they're, oh, excited you've had a baby. And you're excited you've had a baby. But all of the other stuff wrapped around that is is kind of like um, it's not really, um, I don't know, it's hard to describe it because at the time as well you're also kind of dismissing what's happened, you know, because you're wanting to be a happy new mum. So a review would have been good aftercare systems would have been good um you know I was not good at asking for help because I'm a very capable and confident person so I didn't ask for help um the newborn baby high masked my real feelings around my PTSD I didn't talk about it with the midwives I didn't talk about it any follow-up appointments um you know I lived with this flight or fight sleep deprived anxious state for four years and, and wasn't able to kind of move out of it so now I've kind of looked at all those things in hindsight, I realised that I could have, you know, done things differently. That's incredible. And since you acknowledged that you had suffered with PTSD after the birth of your first child, I understand that you found ways to grieve, heal and just prevent further suffering. Um, and some of the most uh, useful methods that you found is using mindfulness and meditation. So could you just explain to us, for anyone that doesn't know or understand, what is mindfulness meditation and just what are the benefits? Because what you did experience is incredible. And to see that you have worked your way through that um, and, and, and really healed yourself through this is, is really um, incredible. So could you please just tell us a little bit about that? Well, when I first discovered mindfulness two years ago at the beginning of my journey to start repairing my mind, body and spirit, which was completely broken after so many years of no sleep, feelings of sadness and trauma, I realised that I had been living with fear and the fear around losing the girls and the fear around, you know, um, stepping away from them and one of them, you know, dying basically. And so what I was able to do through mindfulness, it allows you to understand your thoughts better. And mindfulness gives you the tools really to look at what you're thinking about consistently and, and to give those and then to be reflective about that. So because I was living with an anxious mindset, because I've been living in fear, because I've been living with this trauma and this suffering, I was able to look at that really reflectively and go, okay, well, why is that the case? What, what what are the feelings that come up for me? What are the behaviours that I've developed? And then I realised, I recognise that fear had played a very large role in my life and I was able to thank fear because it was fear that made me go to the doctor and say, I have ICP. It was fear that made me front up at, at 36 weeks and say, you need to take the baby out now, I'm dying. <sighs> it was fear that kept me, kept my children alive. So I thanked fear for the help in keeping my children alive, but I didn't want fear in my life anymore. So I said, thanks, fear. Take a holiday. I don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. Once I started to thank the emotions and the feelings that had been driving my responses and to acknowledge them for the role that they had played in my life, I was able to move through them and process them much quicker. 
And also every time I have that feeling of grief for that lost baby, I let myself feel it. I don't suppress it anymore. If I want to cry at the traffic lights at 2.30 in the afternoon on the way to school, I cry at the traffic lights at 2.30. You know, every time this dedication in this book acknowledges the role that she played in her life and um, there's a huge amount of loss, but actually I thanked her for her sacrifice because within her sacrifice another miracle was possible. You know, because if I, maybe if she hadn't sacrificed herself, the second one may not have survived either. So, you know, I've just been able to be much more reflective about my feelings, my emotions, and to really be kind to myself and to um, to thank them and to be honest you know, mm. with myself as well. You know, mindfulness for mums um, and dads, of course, undoubtedly is helpful for anyone who is sleep deprived um, and wants to sort of be in control. Uh, I'd love for you maybe just to sort of explain to us just the benefits that you found and that you do list also in your article um, of embracing mindfulness. Uh, in your daily life? Well, now when I wake up in the morning, regardless of how many hours sleep I've had, if it's five hours, I'm like, oh, I had five hours. If it's three (laughs) hours, I'm like, oh, I had three hours. But before I open my eyes on the pillow, I think of the first thing I'm grateful for. So it might be I can hear the birds singing outside. I had three hours sleep. I had five hours sleep. Um, I'm grateful that I have a comfortable bed to sleep in. I'm grateful that I have a safe place to live. I'm grateful that I have fresh food and water today to, to sustain me. So I, before I get out of bed, before I admire, I think about what I'm grateful for. Because then as your day be- starts to feel exhausting, you then look back to what you're grateful for. That's the first thing. Second thing is I breathe deeply. So I reach down, I grab my solar plexus and I pull it all the way up and I push it down again. Because when we do that diaphragmatic breathing, it actually helps us process um, toxins in our body. It helps send nutrients to our extremities. It helps better oxygen move around our brain. So that diaphragmatic breathing is really helpful. So I bought myself this ring. It cost me $15 and it says breathe on there. And when I'm exhausted or the kids are screaming at me, I'm driving, I think to myself, just breathe, Chrissy, just breathe. And I keep that a consistent theme throughout my day. Yeah, hang on just for a second. I'll, I'll give you an example. So you've got your ring. I've actually got a, a bracelet for something similar. And it's it, 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 irrespective of what it is, it's just about wearing something every every day that helps remind us of what we, we need to do Uh in, in our daily lives um, that can sort of help. Um, so I think the ring, um, a bracelet, it, it, it could be a hair elastic if, if you don't have a piece of jewelry, jewelry. but I think it is really important to, to put, put that message out there that you can wear, have something on you, that every time that you look at that, that is a symbol and, and a reminder of what you need to do to help you. So you instinctively know within yourself, like this particular bracelet I wear, uh, giving you a bit of insight into me, is just to ask for help because I want Similar to you, I'm a doer. I'm always just do, 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 doing, but I never stop and actually ask for help. So as your ring says, breathe, um, and my my bracelet has got me as a, as a reminder of what I need to do each day. I think it's a really powerful thing for everyone to, to, to decide what is it that I actually need to do and have something on you that you wear every day and every time you look at it, you spend that 30 seconds or however long it is and it's been mindful and, and, and practicing that, don't you think? Visual cues are so important. And one of the other things I did in the early days was I wrote some little affirmations and I put them on my visor in the car. So when I get to the traffic lights, I'd drop it down because I had brain fog. I couldn't remember them. So may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be calm, may I live with ease. So when I start to feel stressed or anxious or fearful or, or worried or frightened, 
I just say to myself, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be calm, may I live with ease. And repeating those things to myself actually helps switch off the stress response. So if I start to feel stressed up, I can switch it off. So that's another thing. And then also acknowledging your feelings. So each day I say to myself, how am I feeling? What does my body need today? And and then my body intuitively tells me what it needs today because I've developed that mind-body connection, which is so powerful through practicing mindfulness and meditation because mindfulness meditation is about... um, cultivating that body and mind and breath awareness so you're actually more intuitive with your body and your energy and how it's feeling and it allows you to experience life more fully because you're better connected with yourself the connectedness exactly and the thing is we get so stuck up in our brain listening to what our thoughts are telling us so we kind of need to say okay brain thank you for the messages i don't need to listen to you right now you're not right about everything and just be with your body and be with yourself and and it's allowed me to be more peaceful to be calmer, to be more accepting, to allow the flow and the, you know, the ebb and flow of energy. And indeed, motherhood is stressful enough, you know, so parenting is stressful enough. So, yeah. So all of these points we, um, you've listed in your article, which of course we will have um, in the show notes um, as well. Uh, following on from this, I'd just love to know what aftercare strategies do you think that we can put in place for new mums uh, to assist them uh, with their well-being right throughout motherhood? What are your thoughts? Well, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, not just in respect of this interview, but just generally for women because I think we it's Mental Health Week, as you know, World Mental Health Week this week um, that we've just been through. So um, focusing on emotional health as well as mental health because our emotions, you know, are cyclical. Our emotions are sometimes linked to our hormones. So helping women understand hormone cycles, helping women understand their emotional health, um, positive psychology for mums. So, you know, what can we do when these feelings and these thoughts rise up to the surface? Mindfulness for working mums, you know, and I find there's so much mental juggling around the working mum and the juggling of multiple children versus one child. And that's the other thing. There's self-care for single parents, self-care for parents of one child, self-care for parents of multiple children. And I think unless we're kind of really honest about that and to develop tools which help support people at different stages of parenting, different stages of mothering, then we're always going to overshoot the mark because we're just going to be going, oh, mental health is depression or not depressed, you know, but there's so much more in the spectrum of that and emotional health and aftercare strategies um, at different stages of parenting is a, is a big um, but I would, I'd love to see um, check-ins at three months, six months, 12 months, return to work, um, mums of multiples, and just really being um, uh, much more open about the role of PTSD and aftercare for women. And what you share with us today is incredible and uh, um, a real display of resilience and tenacity um, with with the view of just ensuring that you are being the best mother that you, that you can be um, and, and also just for yourself. So we've covered off a lot. I wanted to acknowledge and thank you for sharing your story uh, with us. But if you were to summarise your key messages for anyone watching and listening, what would they be? My goal was to be the best mum that I could be to two small children, but also not to be dependent on medications and drugs to help me function. Also not to be reliant on alcohol or other types of, you know, stimulants or substances to help me feel good about my role as a mum and indeed health. And 
when I went through this process myself, I became very curious about what is the role of nutrition? What is the role of sleep, good sleep, quality sleep? What is the role of um, mindfulness, meditation, exercise? So I really was very curious about the holistic effects of our health and well-being and how I could use all of those things to support me, not just now, but for the long term. You know, I'm going to be a mum of teenage girls when I'm 60. The thought of that <laughs> alone was enough for me to really prioritise my health and well-being because I want to be the 60-year-old mum that's running up and down the netball court. You know, I want to be that active mum who's there with them throughout their journey. And um, and so really I'd wanted to do that with without drugs and to be healthy and happy and kind and as wise as I can be. So thank you for sharing all of that. If um mums, dads, um, anyone else has got any questions for you and or want to learn more about your techniques um, and your thought process and of course if they want to purchase your book as well, whereabouts can they find you? So on Facebook and Instagram it's Mindful Mums QLD. Uh, my website is thewellnesspoet.com. I write wellness poetry as well as um, um, the book. There's 13 original wellness poems um, in the book that it to inspire you on the journey. And really they're around, you know, acknowledging mindfulness, fear, uncertainty, um, our comfort zone, and to develop new um, strategies to help us live well for longer, which is what we all want to be doing ultimately. So, you know, these um wellnesspoet.com is my website and you'll find a vast array but also just reach out to me on on um email mindfulmums at gmail mindfulmumsqld at gmail.com thank I'll you have all of those links in the show notes chrissy you're a true inspiration um and once again as i always am really honored uh to have you here on on the podcast and uh thank you again for your time take care and no doubt we'll speak again soon much love take care okay bye I'm Rachel Monteleone, and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.